Okay, today my guest is Professor Anup Madhok. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Anup as a person. Professor Madhok is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Madhok was received was identified as one of the eight academics who are considered both prolific and influential in global strategy, according to Journal of International Management. And he received the 2019 Global Strategy Journal Best Paper Award and the 2005 GIPS Decade Award. He was identified among top contributors worldwide and top 10 in the US in international strategic management research, again, by the study in International Journal of uh, Journal of International Management. Anup sits on the editorial review boards of SMJ and Global Strategy Journal. His past editorial review work was at Journal of Management, Journal of World Business, JIPS, Academy of Management Discoveries, Management and Organization Review. Thank you, Anup, for joining us. Uh, Anup, uh, about your background, what did you want to become when you were a child? One thing, and just one thing, I wanted to be a sailor, uh, a, <laughs> a merchant mariner. Wanted to travel the high seas, discover the world. I mean, that's, that's the only thing I wanted till I ended up in a different direction. Do you sail now? No, I never did learn how to sail. I just wanted to be on those big ships that go around from continent to continent. Wow. Um, uh, where did you grow up? In, uh, in India, in Calcutta. Okay, and you're now in Toronto? Yes. And don't you guys do sailing in Toronto? Uh, well, people do sailing everywhere. I just never learned sailing. So if okay. it was a career, that's what I wanted. You know, I mean, there were a lot of influences on my life by sailors, ranging, you know, a lot of family members, this, that, and they talked about different parts of the world and that's what I wanted to do. Interesting. And what, what made you choose academia? Uh, well, for one, I was always good at studying and, and fond of studying. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it was also a process. It was a long process. Uh, over my 20s, I, uh, I tried working in a number of companies. I tried various things, but somehow I couldn't settle down. I, I, I felt that really wasn't what I wanted to dedicate my life to. So mm -hmm. partly by a process of elimination, knowing what I didn't want to do, it helped me make the choice of uh, what I did want to do. Yeah, Anup, uh, how did you, in academia, how did you choose international strategy or strategy uh, among everything else? Yeah, I think partly I, I was always interested in the world. You know, right from childhood, it was knowing every flag of every country, knowing every capital of every country. Uh, then I I spent a, I, I traveled a lot in my uh, in in my youth uh, across four continents. I think it was just that interest in international. But you know, I did my MBA, and then I did a master's in international economics and development studies, and I found that was more appealing. Mm -hmm. Then I worked for a couple of uh, multinationals. And uh, well, I didn't enjoy the corporate part of life, but I found uh, multinationals intriguing. So, you know, putting it all together, uh, decided to go live, yeah. Uh, something that is not on your CV that uh, 
audience might find interesting. Yeah, look, in my in my twenties, I I backpacked a lot. I uh, I would say more than two years. I spent backpacking around on five dollars a day, sometimes on one dollar a day, uh, just not knowing where I was going next and, and so on. But to me, that was a kind of education also. You know, you you learn a you learn a lot. Uh, by, by doing that. And I took that time to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I also uh, took that time to figure out, you know, what things I loved and what I did. It was a discovery process. I was not keen on working because I felt youth was uh, too important to be wasted. So I went learning languages, went, just went doing whatever I felt like doing. And along the way, picked up a couple of degrees and then started my PhD. <laughs> and when you say backpacking, uh, you were in the US at the time? I, I finished one degree in the US. Uh, okay. And, and then I, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, if you stop doing what you're doing today, what would you do? If you're asking me personally, I wouldn't do anything different. Okay, because I, I, I think I made the right, right choices for myself. Uh, in hindsight, for example, I gave up the opportunity for the, the green card that everyone wants because uh, I thought I'm too young to be working to, uh, you know, just chase a green card. I'd much rather just walk away and, uh, and travel and we can figure, about, figure out those things later. In hindsight, was that a mistake? Well, I don't think so. I think I did the right thing for what worked for me. And I think that's important for everyone to make those choices, what works for them, not what works for others. Interesting. Uh, I'm not going to ask about regret parts. Um, but what, what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Uh, well, so what did I learn from it is it shouldn't run away from obstacles. What was my biggest failure is also what could have been my biggest passion. And I'm using the word could have been uh, mountaineering. Uh, I, I joined a course the Hima, at the Himalayan Mountaineering Institute and I, I ran away. I ran away <laughs> because it was too, too tough. Uh, I ran away because I didn't want to put up with some of the physical inconveniences and facilities and so on and so forth. Uh, and so I didn't do the course. I, did, I didn't complete the course. And so even though I'm, a, I'm passionate about mountains and I do a lot of high altitude trekking, uh, I don't climb mountains. And that's because I ran away. And you, know, you learn from that. And I've learned from a couple of other such mistakes that uh, you know, if you have an obstacle, learn to confront it. Don't walk away. You will uh, you'll regret it. Interesting. Uh, on the place, uh, switch gears to, to research. Uh, how, how do you explain your research to people who don't read your work regularly? And how do you explain the importance of your research impact? I mean, I have different research streams, but let's take one of them. And, you know, I've worked on alliances and interfirm cooperation for quite a while. So essentially, you know, you, I guess what I would tell them is, listen, uh, I look into how you work in teams and accomplish things together. I mean, if you were to, if you were to move a rock, how, how would you move a rock? 
and you know you'd get more people one person might have a crowbar another person might have some dynamite sticks whatever it might be different people bring different skills but you know two hands and two heads are better than one uh, i think they would tend to agree with me but this uh, this should get across to them quite easily Anup, uh, what's your take on um, when i talk to some people uh, they have one area, they are, they are focused in one area and uh, people like you, uh, you have many different areas, right? Uh, how do people or what do people uh, who work in different areas explain uh, their work? Uh, do they choose one area like you just did or do they try to, well, what's the trick here? Uh, so, you know, again, as they say, different strokes for different folks, right? Uh, some people they stick to one area and you know they research it to depth over their 40 year career and that might work for them uh, i personally think that gets a little boring right on the on the other side if you keep flitting from one area to another without any core uh, firstly you stretch yourself a little thin but also then uh, you know people can't associate you with a particular line of work. I mean, personally, I, I think the middle ground is uh, is what works for me, where you have a, a core area and you use that core to leverage into different directions. I see. Now the question about uh, the state of idle curiosity, uh, the creativity question. Uh, what's your take on coming up with this line of Uh, creative papers, what's the trick? Yeah, see, creativity is overrated, okay? It's it's, 90, it's 90% perspiration and 10% creativity, right? Uh, or let's put it differently, when you get the creative idea after that, it's 90% uh, perspiration. I think, I think it's important to also read outside of the discipline, right? Sometimes what happens is if you're reading mostly within the area you're interested in, it can be too narrow and you get too impacted by, uh, by what's already been done, right? In, in your narrow area. Let's say you're interested in, in culture and IB. Well, I'll give you my, my example. I, you know, I won an award for that paper. Uh, but if you're talking about say culture, in that paper it was trust. Uh, you can look at your academic side of the strategy literature or the OB literature on trust, but I read some stuff in anthropology and it had to do with uh, gift exchange among some islanders in the South Pacific, right? Now, why is that relevant? Well, it sparked an idea, okay? That idea would never have come about if I hadn't read that book. Uh, And so then what you do is, uh, what I did is once you get that idea or that creative spark, you find a way to stitch it together to bring out something which uh, is more creative than what, what would have been the case if you hadn't read outside the discipline. And when I say discipline, I don't mean if you are in strategy, you read marketing. What I mean is if you're in strategy, you read political science or you read anthropology or you read you know, other, other disciplines. About it's, uh, the... it's also important to let your mind wander. You know, if you restrict your mind too much, you can't be creative. It's really important to let your mind wander. 
I can elaborate on that if you want. Sure. I mean, look, it's when you say in your idle time. So one of the things that uh, in my idle time, so I read this book, The Selfish Gene. And so you say, well, take the multinational. And essentially, what is the multinational trying to do? Uh, it's trying to propagate its genes, right? Well, you let your mind wander. Well, so, you know, the multinational goes to other countries, well, genes, uh, mutate, they pick up their own life, you create other, your genes spread around. Now the competition that's coming from those countries is partly because of your genes, but they're not identical. But eventually the multinational might itself develop a mutant gene. And what happens, it starts devouring. You're letting your mind wander. But at the end of the day, it might have to do with how ideas flow, transmission of ideas, uh, creation of competition and so on. But you don't know all that when you start thinking about mutant genes. But all this together, uh, you know, when I read something else on biomimicry, and you start talking about biomimicry and tie it in with selfish gene, and there you've got an idea for a creative paper. But this is just letting your mind uh, wander. Interesting. How about, uh, let's just continue on that uh, line of thinking. How about uh, next big questions in IV? Uh, some of the omitted, I, I, I say omitted variables, obviously is neglected areas of research, uh, things that we need to do more. Yeah, I think, so if you take, if you take the evolution of IB, it started off somewhat broad. Uh, also, there were other disciplines over time has become mostly management and marketing. Uh, also, it's become more narrowly focused. It's become, well, that's a good thing also, and that has become more rigorous. On the other hand, I think uh, some of the broader contextual issues uh, have been, I'm, I'm not going to, I, I won't use the word being silenced, but they're no longer as visible. The fact is, if you are IB, if you take it to extremes, on one hand, you can go towards micro foundations. Uh, IB can go in that direction. But once you get into the firm, which is what IB has become uh, more and more, you get into micro foundations. You're not, you know, this thing about what is IB's identity. Well, micro foundations is inside the firm, it's, it's management. Okay. Then you go to the other extreme, which is the broader issue, the geopolitical context. Uh, well, this is not just management. This is this can be IB, and I use the word can be because it's it's how you uh, pull it together. So just just as an example, you know, take take a company like Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company or a company like Tesla. Mm -hmm. They have to manage manage superpower rivalries. You know, uh, Taiwan comes into the picture. Uh, both both China and uh, the US have an interest in keeping Taiwan under the ambit, partly among other reasons, because TSMC is located there. But what if, what if TSMC manages this balance between uh, China and the US in a way that Tesla isn't able to? Well, what you've done is taken geopolitical context and taken uh, uh, business or strategy and kind of stitched it together. 
but there are many such examples, you know, which we, we don't look at uh, sufficiently. They might be coming out in the future, like, you know, the, the Belt and Road Initiative. Now, what does that what does that mean? At the end of the day, it's it's context, but you have to kind of marry the context with uh, business stuff. If you go to micro foundations, then there's it's, it's business stuff. Let's expand on that one. I mean, you mentioned Belt and Road. Uh, some people look at it as a mere infrastructure project, a long or long-term big budget infrastructure project. I think it's more than that. It's uh, China tried to do it in the Silk Road in the medieval times and, and it changed the world. Uh, and right now it is also one of the biggest uh, drivers in Africa, at least in the Middle East, in Africa. So I think it's more than just investments. Uh, a lot of things are happening that we need to pay attention to. How about your argument on micro foundations versus the macro uh, roots, macro foundational disciplines. Um, wouldn't they say, well, political science is doing it, international relations is doing it, economics, international economics is doing it. So what's the, uh, where's the sweet spot? Well, <laughs> you know, there is no sweet, sweet spot. I mean, one is going to be fluctuating somewhere, I mean, that's why I said one extreme, another extreme. Uh, there's the entire spectrum in between, right? Uh, the, the thing is, if one starts looking in, and I, I say it's a good thing and a not so good thing, uh, too much on statistic, on, on rigor uh, and specificity, then sometimes it starts going more and more within the firm. And the more it goes more and more within the firm, you know, when you say multinational, depending on the question you ask, the multinational is a, is a firm, right? The more you go within the firm, the more this could be business. It's not, it's not international. We've had these debates in uh, IB for a long time. The, quest, the question is, uh, how can you, like, like I said, how can you, the sweet spot might be marrying the two. So you take your BRI initiative. Uh, it's not just infrastructure. Okay, again, this geopolitical rivalry that geopolitical rivalry might impact not just investment in Africa, but how firms are managed in Africa under certain influences, right? Uh, at, at, the end, at the end of the day, all I'm, all I'm trying to say is in IB in the 60s, 70s and so on, there was more of uh, broader stuff. Now, I, I think somewhere along the way, in IB, what they be, what began happening, in my opinion, when you say culture in international business, uh, and you start saying, well, let's do cultural differences, and someone does a work, some piece of work on cultural differences, and you say, well, I did the same thing for Germany, and I found that yeah, these things matter, and then someone said, I did the same thing for Argentina, well, these things matter. Well, at the end of the day, you're not moving knowledge forward. You're just replacing one uh, country for another. Or if you do internationalization process, and you say, well, Swedish firms behave that way. And then someone says, we do the same thing for Brazilian firms. And then the Brazilian firms follow the Swedish model or don't follow the Swedish. 
I don't think that's really contributing that much to uh, uh, to knowledge development. They're just replacing one country with another. Like we need something more than that. Uh, about mentoring PhD students and developing PhD students, who, who was your advisor when you were going through the process? My advisor, most people have not heard of. It was, uh, he was uh, Jan Jorgensen at, at McGill. And uh, he was a political scientist. And who made the most impact on your career? <laughs> to be to be honest, are, are you talking my PhD? Or are you talking my career? Your career. Uh, I think at least in the IB field, it would be people like uh, Sumantra Ghoshal or Bruce Kogut, uh, people like them. And the reason why is I felt that no matter what they did, it was conceptually, conceptually solid. You know, it wasn't just that you've done a beautiful piece of empirical work, but it was conceptually solid, but they also uh, didn't stick to one line of work, right? They produced different things and each thing that they produced seemed to have an impact. Mm -hmm. right. uh, when you were starting out, what is one thing that you uh, you would have said? If I wish, uh, uh, I wish I had known this so that it would save so much pain and agony. <laughs> well, pain and agony. So let's start off with that. So I'll 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 work backwards. Learn to cut your losses. Okay, I mean you can you can write papers, but not every paper is is meant to be a super hit, and yet you get emotionally attached to your paper, and uh, you somehow want to it to see the light of day. But sometimes it's just better to you know you invested time at some cost, let it go and 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 move on. Uh, your the opportunity cost is, uh, is is too high, so learn to cut your losses. Uh, another one. I think is, uh, which served me well, is stop reading and start thinking. I think, I think too many of us, especially during our PhD, we want to read everything that's out there, which nowadays, of course, is not so possible with uh, technology because one click and you get 10,000 hits. But if, you're, if you chase so much time reading what's out there, after a while, the incremental knowledge is relatively uh, limited, and and your mind and your thoughts start getting too impacted by what's out there. I think there is a kind of sweet spot where you read a read a certain amount, and then let your mind wander, rather than keep reading more. The PhD students that you see in the consortiums, your students in your school, or in your career, what are some of the common mistakes that they uh, that they do? That they shouldn't do. The kind of common mistakes they do is uh, actually some of the mistakes that I did too. You know, firstly, you get attracted to tired topics. So you know, it's very important you find a topic that 
that you're passionate about, but also that the topic has legs. So let's say in my time, among other things, it was strategy and structure of uh, multinationals, you know, the Bartlett and Ghoshal uh, kind of uh, research. But there was, a, there was a, a lot, not just them. And so I got attracted to it. But, you know, a lot had already been done. And then you get attracted and then you take three, four years to finish your PhD. You're starting to uh, get there when it's now in the downward phase of its life cycle. Hmm. That's, that's a tired topic. It's, it's important to find topics that you're passionate about, but that are not tired. Second thing I think is they get too married to the topic to, in a narrow sense. And I've mentioned this before, just need to read outside of your discipline. I, I find it uh, really useful because you can energize your contribution by bringing in different ways of uh, thinking and it helps to read from outside, right? Uh, you know, one is you're in strategy, you're reading information. Suppose you are in, uh, it doesn't matter what topic, you know, you're in strategy and you could be reading information systems, but the other is you're in strategy and you're reading, uh, well, sociology, psychology, anthropology, doesn't matter what, what ology, right? Uh, for your thinking, for looking at other ways of doing research, for other ways of thinking, for other ways of framing uh, research problems and all, I think it's a, it's a, it's a useful exercise. Uh, the, the, the third thing, which again, these are all mistakes I made. Don't collaborate or don't seek out collaborations with uh, scholars from outside of your uh, often discipline. So I'm not even saying field, meaning uh, non-business, but even outside of your discipline. If you're in strategy, your colleagues or collaborators all strategy. I think one compliments by looking uh, outside, but some of the mistakes that I think I made up and students still make. Okay. Um, what are you currently working on? I started working a lot on uh, digital platforms. Okay, it's uh, now this is a topic I guess currently hot and everyone's talking. Well, everyone, all disciplines are showing interest in it. You notice it coming out in IB also uh, more and more. I, I think for a few years it will be there. I, I'm not working with an IB angle on it yet. Okay. Well, uh, Anup, uh, what's the question that I should have asked you, but haven't? You know, I guess one question is not not what makes you tick, but what makes you tick and go on ticking. You know, because a career is uh, 35, uh, 40 years long. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what makes you tick in the beginning uh, is not what keeps you. If I if I continue doing what I was doing forty years ago or thirty years ago, uh, I don't think I'd still be ticking, right? So, uh, and I think it's important because the different stages of life, different stages of career. I think firstly, it's important to keep in mind this is it's just a job. This is this is not life, and and don't make your job your life. Okay. Uh, I won't judge other academics, you know, some people can choose to make their job their life, but uh, that, you know, what kept me ticking. Uh, 
secondly, if it's your job, if you're going to do your job, do your job well. Uh, but if you do your job well, then don't worry about the consequences. Meaning, oh, paper got accepted, rejected, got tenure, didn't get tenure, it's totally all irrelevant. If you did your job well, it means you gave it your all your heart, your uh, sweat, and then whatever happens, happens. Don't let it uh, impact you too much. And, you know, I, I guess indirectly, it's also saying resilience. So, you know, ups and downs come, but that's all, that's part of life, right? Uh, in a way, what I'm saying is maintain perspective. There's more to life than, than what you do. It's an important part of life, but there's more to life than what you do. So what's the mechanism for coping? What's the mechanism for uh, maintaining perspective? and keeping it alive, uh, at least in your case. Uh... In my case, firstly, don't take yourself too seriously, okay? Meaning, so you publish an article and an article gets an award and so on and so forth. I mean, look, there are 25 people who cite that article, or hopefully 250 will cite it. If you think you're, you're a king, you're, you're, uh, your mountain is a molehill, you know? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, if you don't if you don't take yourself and what you do, I'm not saying don't take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. Mm. Uh, then the ups and downs are, it's, you know, it's it's just it, you take it in your stride much more easily. And and the last thing is, you know, uh, and this I mentioned before, every decade or so I changed topics because I get bored to to hell with the same damn thing, you know? I mean, if you don't find uh, a new topic and eventually an interesting new way to attack the topic, it can get quite uh, draining. This is a, uh, I mean, we all know this is a very demanding profession, right? So the question is how do you keep ticking and each one has to find that out, uh, figure that out for themselves. Thank you, Anup. Uh, I learned a lot. It was very interesting. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you for your time. Right. Right.